Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to the True Potential Do More With Your Money podcast. This is episode 49. It's been recorded today on Tuesday, the 22nd of December. But as a belated Christmas gift, we're going to be publishing this for you next week as well. So we're giving you all a, a week off the podcast this week. So I hope you had a great Christmas. hope you had a great Boxing Day. And I'm looking forward to New Year's Eve. Um, joined, I was delighted to be joined for the first time in podcast history by all five of the senior partners from True Potential RL, all in one place today. Um, so uh, good morning, David Harrison, uh, Neil Johnson, Earl Glasgow and Mark Henderson. So hopefully you've all seen us at one stage or another on a Do More With Your Money podcast this year. Um, but really, for those who don't know who we are, we're the five senior partners at True Potential. We founded the firm back in 2007. And the purpose, really, of today's podcast is to um, round up what's been a, a, an unusual year in 2020, but also, I think, give you a bit of an insight into the way we run True Potential, the way in which we look after your money, and just some of our own thoughts and opinions on things. So, um Please look forward to that. Um, please look forward to that. <laughs> Some bad English and a bad start from it. But I think probably in normal um, time on a Do More With Your Money podcast tradition, we normally get somebody in from the investment management firm. And I think normally Mark would ask you, but we should really ask a professional instead and we should get Jeff Casson on the line. Yeah. <laughs> and that's coming Sorry, from Mark. a man wearing that jumper. This is a, a festive, top-class jumper, Mark. This is very serious. I'm, I'm the only member of the senior team living the brand at the moment. Jeff's not even living the brand, and he's just popped on the camera. And I know you've got one of those jumpers, Jeff, because I've seen you on this morning markets commentary with it. <laughs> I was contemplating getting running and getting it on there, but just couldn't get there in time. Oh, I've, I've marked it down, Jeff. It's noted. <laughs> so... Um, Morning, Jeff. Um, welcome to uh, the, the, the podcast. Um, Jeff, we, we normally ask you or Mark or one of the team to, to round up the week. Um, we're going to give you a slightly harder task today. Could you round up the year, please? What, what's been your thoughts on, on 2020? Well, I suppose how long have we got? Um, because it's been one of those years that we could probably talk on that topic for, for quite a long time. But I suppose taking a, a little bit of a, a step back and thinking about the year, what what has the year brought to us? It's brought us dramatic speed of change and speed of change within asset markets and prices. We look back to what happened in, in February and March time as the COVID news started to, to come out and really influence markets. We saw quite significant and dramatic reaction in asset markets with prices moving exceptionally fast in a very short period of time. So it's moving through to what was really the fastest bear market that we've seen um, with you know the US market falling 20, 22% in, in 20 days. We focus on the equity market, but it's the very same thing if we look at the bond market and that you know we saw spreads there move out dramatically um, for governments, for corporates and for, for emerging markets over that period. That all did create interesting opportunities, and I'll maybe come on and, and speak about where those opportunities came and why that feeds into um, an investment process and why an investment process is important. But then fast forward to where we are today, and we've got ourselves with asset markets primarily recovered in terms of the, the equity market, 
and we've also seen seen bond markets come in with spreads now back to to levels that they were at before the COVID issues that we've had to experience. So quite dramatic change. What's driven all that? Sort of a, a combination of the the action by central banks and, and governments to deliver us something that has been really quite um, different and something that none of us have, have, have really seen in terms of that interaction between governments and um, the, the monetary authorities, so the central banks. So some $10 trillion of, of support given to, to markets, if we look at that both from a direct and an indirect basis, what, what does that, that mean? To try and put some context around it, global GDP at the end of 2019 was some $140 trillion. So 78% of, of global GDP as an impulse into to economies this year, um, which has helped us navigate our way through to where we've got to today. Um, thinking about it in a little bit more, what, what's been sort of the four things that we as a team have focused on and discussed, it's really what's been driving sentiment and what's been driving sentiment in markets very much COVID, the fiscal and monetary responses coming through, medical advances, and we really saw that as we got news of where we were getting to with the stage one, two, and then stage three trial results of the vaccines. And then November, a very significant rotation in, in markets as we saw the Pfizer um, news coming through in terms of the strong efficacy that that, that solution had. And that's, that's driven markets on. But I suppose we're nearly coming full circle again in the sense that we're we're talking about restrictions, restrictions of movement, and that feeding through to, to hurt sentiment a little bit again, and also influence the economic activity. And, and we're seeing that come through for the, the services side of things. But I, I, I suppose at another level, what, what does it mean? What does it help us all think about? Well, I think if we'd went back to the beginning of the year and we'd said that there's going to be a global pandemic, um, the impact on an asset markets, we'd have probably all made the wrong choice. We'd have probably all said, well, I don't think global equities will be up this time next year um, if we're, we're running through that. But I suppose what does that get me to think about? The role of diversification, staying true to your investment process, which we as a team have done and the, the investment partners that we work with have, have done. And the role of diversification within that and consistently thinking about the, the, the merits of that and building portfolios. And that's, I think, really helped um, us in terms of the, the communication that we've had going back to, to February and March, thinking about the challenges that were being presented then and people thinking, well, do I get out of the market now? Do I get into the market? Well, actually, just put that to the side. Stay stay invested over over the longer term market timing is really very difficult and this year has shown that that is the case and why one doesn't want to try and time the market because you could have made a horrible decision on the 23rd of March of this year but allowing portfolios that are well diversified exposed to assets across the globe and different types of assets has allowed us over the course of the year to deliver a really good return for our clients so if we look at the balance fund over um, the course from the 23rd of March, it's up 26%. It's up over a year-to-date basis as well, and it's up on a one-year basis. The aggressive fund's up 36%. It's up 4% year-to-date, and even more than that in the one-year view. So it's the, it's the importance of, I suppose, staying, staying invested, using diversification, recognising there will be challenges, 
but staying true to your investment process and working with partners that allow that to be delivered. Thanks, Jeff. Um, Earl, if I just um, introduce you quite uh, quickly on, on this side of things, because I know you deal with a lot of new advisors who are joining the True Potential group and indeed with their clients side of things. I can remember discussions you and I were having back in March and April about advisors almost worried about joining and we're going to time the market correctly. So going back eight, eight months ago, it seems an awful long time ago. Um, what type of messages were you were you telling advisors and clients who were looking to join True Potential? Um, well, it's a bit like, you know, a dog's not for Christmas, it's for life. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you can even use that analogy, but it sounded good at the time that, you know, this is your career. This is a long-term thing. You know, you shouldn't put it off because, you know, we're confident in, in our proposition, confident in what Jeff is, and confident that in the long term, we'll be the best choice for any advisor. And that's proved to be the thing. I think that the short-term blip we had, Daniel, was that people were worried about asset prices and volatility. And I know what we said to them was, look, if you join, you know, and, and maybe some of them were selling their business to us, we were saying, you know, we'll honor the price if it comes back up again. And I think the thing that was remarkable for me when we did that price promise was that actually when I checked it in about November time, you know, what I discovered was that not only had the prices recovered in the portfolios, they've exceeded them. Right. So what we what we seen was on the 21st of February, we had a, a really high and then within four weeks, we had a, a really low point, which you know spooked a lot of people, you know, fair play to the strategy that Jeff and the team do. You know, the whole thing came back up and actually went over that again by the time we got to November. And I know people, Mark always looks back and says, if you had told him back in, in March what we were facing, that by November we would have exceeded the performance, what we had in February. You know, and I think for a lot of people, everybody that came in, you know, every single one of them that joined, you know, A, they're glad they've done it, but B, they're absolutely over over the moon and the stuff we get from clients on performance is is great it's actually the best recognition you get is when you get it direct from the client yeah you know that you know that you know and also that you know the the thing that i always say you know in 33 years is that nobody ever thanks you for 20 percent but what the, what they never forget is that they lose five right <laughs> and, and i think that the thing that jeff does which is just is keep that bandwidth I talk and that volatility, keep that under control, keep it under check, make sure the ride is as smooth as possible, but maximize the return when you're coming out of it. So everybody that stayed invested, everybody that joined, you know, there's not one of them has one single ounce of regret now that we've got through that part of it and we're into the end of the year. Thanks, Earl. And one one of the things we um we worked on, you know, when when you were mentioning there Earl about performance at clients see. The other part that we've, we've worked really hard on this year has been the communication piece. So, Jeff, you know, you've been the, the, the leading man, really, with, with Morning Markets. You've been on countless of these podcasts as well. So this is the 49th Doom Over Your Money podcast we've done this year. But I don't know how many working days we've had to date, but I know you're well into 200 plus for Morning Markets. Um, and I remember, you know, when we when we were doing planning this time last year, we'd we'd said, let's communicate more often to our clients. Let's give them snippets. So let's not just send them huge PDFs of market commentary. What we wanted to do was snappy morning markets videos where it was you or, or Mark or somebody else in the team delivering four or five minutes information. Um, 
has has that messaging changed, Jeff, since January through to through to now, for instance? I suppose it's evolved as we've kind of got into a way of of, of thinking about and communicating the, the key aspects. There's so much. I think in the morning, the the, the challenge for for the team is to to distill everything that's going down into to, to five minutes or or even less of the key messages and try and get it across in a way that, that we make it accessible to all. Because I think the real challenge for, for us as an industry is that we have a, a want to really make things really complex and and use acronyms to describe things when there's there's probably not a real need to do that. And if we can explain it in a way that makes makes the, the information that we, we see on a daily basis useful for to the client base to the advisors and that they can then on communicate that to others in a way that gives reassurance that, that we're we're constantly aware of of the changes how we're communicating and how we're discussing them um and, and i suppose the big change is is how we've we've done it you know we spent quite a bit of time in the office trying to to think about how we we would do it yet we transitioned onto an online environment and we've continued to be able to do it remotely um, each day, wherever wherever the team are, and we can we can get that information out to to clients first thing in the morning. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a great point there, Jeff, because it, it books what would be the popular theory, which is people wanted videos which were more in the office, shirt and tie, and things like that. And when I was I've, when I've been looking back at some of the January February videos we did, the night and day different to now, and I know that they are in terms of preparation behind the scenes as well. Um, but also the, the feedback we got from clients when you came back to the office in September and we're standing back up in front of the screen and had the tie on, we got a lot of feedback from clients saying actually they prefer, yeah. prefer you at home. So I don't I don't know if they just don't want you down in, <laughs> in don't the want office. Me, don't yet, want me in Newcastle the way that yes. maybe, maybe the government doesn't want me crossing the border either at the moment. So well, that's well, we're not allowed over your border at the moment. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> But yeah, no, I think it's um, it, it's great to see the way it's, it's evolved, and, and thanks to you and the team for sticking at it. What what can be hard work sometimes because I know there's been some days you and the team have had to go into bat when markets have been quite volatile overnight, and you're almost having to deliver bad news effectively. It's, it's easy to come on and talk when it's good news, but I think it's it, it's a lot harder to talk when we've had bits of blips and bits of market upsets overnight as well so i, I, I suppose that's the, the the why it's important that we relate it back to what what we do and how we build portfolios and how we think about the role that, that diversification plays within the portfolio so whilst you know and it, it's been an interesting process because you, you look at it and you look at some of the headlines that are in the press in the morning and you think well my goodness it says that the stock market slumped yesterday and it's like well what do, what does that mean oh we're down two percent well i don't think that's that's a slump and it's about how we communicate that in in the right way to clients because i suppose the media has got a want to sensationalize things and it's about us as a as an investment team taking a step back from that communicating the reality of what is happening why prices are reacting and moving in the way that they are and trying to provide the context and you know the language that's often used doesn't give that context so if we yep. can give context to what's happening and, and put some some words around that that makes it clear and understandable hopefully it, it's helping to remove that sensationalism out of it and make it that it's actually when you're diversified and you're exposed to many different assets, many different regions, 
that's helping that. Not one of our clients is 100% exposed to that market that slumped yesterday. It's just not how we build our portfolios and how we think about that. And it's important that we get that message out there. So trying to bring it around that, yes, if equity markets are weak, we know that bond markets provide diversification to that. That's what's in the portfolio. And that's mitigating that volatility for the, the clients to see over time. Thanks, Jeff. And you, you were talking about the media headlines and sensationalizing things. And I saw David grinning there in the background, because I know it's something, David, we've, we've talked quite a bit about in podcasts this year as well. Now, kind of bold statement, I guess, or, or not, would you say this has been the worst year for media sensationalism, or, or do you recall any other times? I think it's unprecedented. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was grinning before because I think the reason that people uh, um, were phoning in about Jack being in the office was just his cheap suit. They, they, <laughs> they got worried when they saw that here's a man in charge of billions of pounds with a cheap suit on. He got away with it when he was up in, in the borders of Scotland with his, uh, with his casual gear. I think, Daniel, that, that answer your question. Um, all of this is relative. I mean, when you, when you talk about the dollar, the, the pound has slumped. I read that one. It's, it slides. It's gone down by whatever. You know, if it goes down 25%, it's gone from 135 down to 20-odd or something like that. And when it moves 1% or 2%, this is the thing about currency. Where what you have to watch for is not so much stock market slumps and whatever, it's changes in currency because that, that can be quite um, tricky. It can be quite well hidden that a 10% move on currency you know, doesn't look much, but it makes a huge difference because it's really it's 10%. If you could be 10% of your portfolio if it's denominated in dollars or, or sterling. So it can make quite a, quite a big difference. But those movements of neither here nor there, they happen all the time. And I, I think what, what would be good about this year, increasingly people are, who have been sitting at home or have been using sort of digital means to communicate or get communicated to, um, can begin to discern some of the stuff that I think some of the poorer quality reporters and poorer quality newspapers do. And I think newspapers have a responsibility to be as fair as possible, we know they're not. They're never, never in the history of newspaper has uh, uh, you know, have reports been truly, you know, um, unbiased. And often in the past, uh, the the owner of the newspaper, the owner of the the media, if you like, their personal preferences and their personal um, political persuasions can have a huge effect on who reports there, who the editor is. And even just a slant of the news coming in there. Um, so, you know, we, we've had some more sensational stuff. The job of us, if you like, is to give you the facts. We can have a laugh. Uh, I think that's, that's impo impossible for us not to have a laugh. We're, we'd have to change our entire demeanour, certainly the people on the call. We are quite lighthearted, but we're not lighthearted about people's money. Um, It'll be interesting when, when you mentioned down 5%. Um, the, when Earl said, you know, the clients are more concerned if you go down by 5%. I just watched Jeff's face and all of a sudden, 
a very, very serious look on his face because he understands that. He understands that, look, it can go down by more than 5% or 10%. It's just if you raid your money at that point, you've had it. And it was quite important when we were recruiting in so many clients, which we've done, we have lots and lots of, I mean, thousands of brand new clients and coming in and transferring money in terms of volatility. What is important is to say, it doesn't matter when you do it. It really doesn't matter. It actually doesn't make you richer or poorer. What makes you richer or poorer over the long term is we get ahead of inflation, we get a return on your money ahead of inflation, ahead of what you could get in any of the best deposit accounts and ahead of the cost of us managing your money for you. So you put our charges, you put inflation, and you put if you like, the opportunity cost of where it could have been sitting in a bank account. And if you're well ahead of that, if you're 2 or 3% ahead of that, which means you should be trying to get 6 to 7 to 8% per, per annum, I don't think anybody could complain. And if they do, I, 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 I'm sure I could have a, a chat with somebody sensibly to say, that's what it's about, you know. 7%, 7.1% per annum growth means that your money doubles every 10 years. And that's not bad. That's not bad. You know, you're sitting like I am on my backside and somebody's working and I'm paying them to do it. And if my money doubles every 10 years, I'm happy. If you get 10% growth, it doubles every 7.1 years. It's strange. That isn't how it works the other way around. But yeah. that's that's the... That, 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 and that's all I concentrate on. That's, and the way to do it, that was funny, I got a, a nice email from Colin Beveridge, who used to be in the job that uh, Jeff was doing and, and helped to start off this whole idea of advanced diversification uh, and, and get putting together, if you like, the portfolio of managers that uh, uh, Mark has worked with and Jeff has sort of supercharged to get this concept of Whenever you're putting a pound in, it's split up to 200,000 times across the world, across currencies, across sectors, all of that. Um, which means it doesn't mean you can't go wrong. It, of course, you can go wrong. But, you know, we're, we're using well-known names. We're not, we're not chanting people's money with people we've never heard of, you know. And so we're actually... It's not a bad chance to talk all the way back in January when we, we talked about one of the, or maybe the largest creator of steel in the world when we visited China. I don't know if they are the largest. David, you're the worldwide statistician. Jeff's nodding, so Jeff, Jeff's beat you to it. They are. Um, yeah. I, I think Jeff might say they're not. We uh, either them or the States. Uh, the worldwide, the largest user of coal. Um, um, copper, everything that you require a huge economy. I mean, yeah. just some little facts, and then Jeff will give you the, the, the more detail, but China, 1.4 billion people live there. Um, as of yesterday, coronavirus cases, according to the New York Times, 1.4 million. million. Yeah. Well, Ten. what they've reported, yeah. 27. <laughs> well, 27 cases. There, the, 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 the thing that gets thrown out here to terrorise us is how many cases per 100,000. Know, so in Northumberland, it could be like 150 cases per 100,000. That means about five people. Seriously. Doesn't mean many people. It's not a big 
population. China's got a big population, 1.4 billion. Not per 100,000. It's a rounded down. It's a rounding out error. You can't, you can't calculate it. They don't have it. According to them, they don't have it. I think they probably don't have it. Um, uh, you know, uh, GDP is growing 7% per annum. Um, a huge figure. And the figure, once again, doesn't make any sense to us because it's 8.2. It's 25 trillion, sorry. 25 trillion dollars. That's only relative to, say, US and and other very, very large. <laughs> I think that for me, Dan, what, what stood out about Shanghai the first time we got there was the, the amount of freight that was going up and down the river. You know, the freight and raw materials, it was constant. We went back, we revisited it two years later, and it was still going. And it wasn't that they switched it off on the day we flew out and switched it back on just for our benefit. There's huge development going on. And um, with Shanghai, when you know, if you remember going back up to the airport on that, that visit that we had in January, it, the development was just spreading right out. It was, it was vast. Whereas in other centres like London, you, you see the construction work that's happening, but it's, it's within a very, very uh, close environment, you know, in the square mile, the traditional areas. Shanghai is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger as, as the years go by. And that's, that's just one Chinese city. You know, the, the development there, the use of steel, et cetera, et cetera, is huge across the whole country. I suppose well, that's a contrast, isn't it? You know, you've got the evolution and development of the infrastructure of the economy that, that is required and, and needs to happen. But also you've got some of the, the most sophisticated technology companies in the world operating from China as well. So it's it's doing both things at once, investing in its physical infrastructure, but also investing in its technology. And I suppose that was the, the real contrast when we were there, just the it brought that to life. It's still developing. It's still a, it's still a relatively young country in terms of what it's achieving from an investment perspective in in physical infrastructure. But it's it's leapfrogging ahead of what some of the technologies that we have in 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 developed economies through what they're doing with the likes of Alibaba and Tencent and and Baidu, etc. But there's a fact in there with China. Just David, just as we finish China off and. Um, when we're in Shanghai, Shanghai's got 25 million people living in it. <laughs> you know, just, just, just yeah. to put it in context, you know. So when Mark and Jeff are talking about the, the way it sprawls and, and things like that, you know, so it's, it's more people that live in Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Wales by a long way. <laughs> you know, it's nearly as many people live in England, just live in one metropolis, so to speak. Yeah, but 58 million people in England. You know, yeah. 58 million there. I don't know what's in Scotland, five, six million. There's about 20 million Scots living in, in England. So, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a few people from Northern Ireland living in Scotland. And there's a, there's a few people from Ireland living in Northern Ireland. Oh, don't get involved in that. Don't get involved. <laughs> no. Always advice, always advice versa. <laughs> I'm not answering that. Yeah, that's right. But don't, don't get involved. Yeah. It's dangerous for you. I'm all right. They'll never come here. Boom. <laughs> but talk, talking about living in different places, and since we all seem to live and work at home now, I'm, I'm going to say thank you to you, Jeff, uh, for, for all of your work this year. Thank you so much. And thank you for your input today as well. So uh, cheerio for now, Jeff. And Greg. Uh, cheers, Lago. everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Jeff. I think we're just going to get Greg Lang up.
he's got he's got it he's got the uh, corporate sweater on as well. See, I, I when I look at that sweater, I, I think of Father Ted. <laughs> Are you seen that Earl's um, that uh, Greg is um, Dougal? Father <laughs> <laughs> Dougal. I thought he. I thought he looked a bit like Mrs. Doyle. <laughs> I think he's tucked that sweater well, though. Don't worry, Greg. We're, we're, we're not live. We're just having a quick pause, mate. Yeah, well, he's talking away, but he's. Hey, you told yourself on mute. Schoolboy, schoolboy, schoolboy. Well, no, welcome to the end of year review, Greg. That's a nice jumper as well. So well, well dressed. <laughs> Good to see you're wearing the festive branding today as well, mate. So, um, we've we've invited you on, Greg. Really, I know you've you've been on some podcasts yourself. So hopefully the audience are aware of who you are. But um, you're you're an integral member of the team who, who's helped True Potential operate really effectively when we've been working from home. And I just wanted um, Neil probably because uh, we're having our chance. To let you speak yet, Neil, because we've been very rude. Um, I, I wouldn't, Dan, really. I wouldn't advise it. <laughs> well, now, now is your big chance. Um, so, Neil, maybe you, if you could kick off with just some of the preparations that the senior partner team did to, in terms of getting ready in February and March for Corona and, and oh, as it was called at the time, Corona, it's now just COVID-19 um, and getting ready for lockdown and how you and Greg and the rest of the team worked. Yeah, thanks, Dan. I, I think it, it was a Quite an interesting time. In some ways, a slightly chaotic time because we're getting all this, these diverse news stories. And I, I remember very well we called everybody together on a Monday morning, um, a couple of weeks before the the main lockdown was actually subsequently announced, and we looked at what was going on. For example, in northern Italy, where all of a sudden they seemed to have a major crisis with hospitals overwhelmed and, and a sudden lockdown of of the whole population, which. I think before then we'd never contemplated anything like that. We'd seen it in China, and I think whenever we discussed it, we said, "Well, imagine doing that in the UK, saying to people, you can't, you know, you can't leave your city, you can't leave your house, you can't go to work.' You know, it's almost it was almost impossible to contemplate. I think, and then, of course, when we saw it happening in Italy, a bit closer to home, uh, you suddenly think, "Well, this is coming quite close," and you know, they're having to do something very drastic to protect. The population in a very short order. So we had a meeting on the Monday, I remember well, which was really studying the graphs across, you know, the certain research institutions starting to show these graphs of these sudden increase in cases, sudden increase in hospital admissions and, and the health service problems they were having. So I think it was on that Monday when we're all sitting around and, and Greg and the senior partner team and the, the senior management team, we really got a sense of the urgency and importance of what could well be about to happen in the UK, you know, and we're, we're not the only people to have seen these things early, but I think we did, as David's just said there, work from facts, look at the facts, look at what's happening and what is probably going to happen. Um, and on that Monday, we had a very long session. Um, and I remember things like, you know, we all started getting hand sanitizers out and people were sort of, you know, there's a bit of humor about people stealing your hand sanitizer. But at the end of the day, we're saying, well, this is something that's going to hit the UK probably within 10 to 14 days because you can see that the way the charts are all going. And us as a business, we have to look after our clients, our business, keep our business going. 
and and what are we going to you know what's going to happen with the staff and how we all work uh, and on that monday we did an awful lot of the planning which which was you know we need in our business we have client checks coming in we need to bank we have important documents coming in we need the capacity in the office where we can handle that so greg and his team and the rest of us you know worked out very very quickly how will we do that we need all of our um staff to be able to work from home to keep everything going and keep you know keep that client money safe invested properly run so we were looking at that um, and just right across the business everybody responsible was in that room saying this is how we're going to make all these things happen if things get locked down and people can't come into the office and, and work as they normally do so we had the it teams the tech teams saying well you know has everybody got the vpn access they need can they work on the system they're working on you know productively from home can we control that can we monitor it is it all there so there's a lot of work across that two-week period really before the, the fateful Monday night when <clears throat> you know Boris got up at about 8.30 to say, um, right, this is it, everything's locked down, stay at home. You know, the old three three things, <laughs> stay at home, save lives, protect the NHS at that stage was the was the mantra, wasn't it? But um, you know, that that was the thing that we were preparing for. And so when that 8.30 announcement came in, we were as well prepared as you could be. But there were even other things, Greg, weren't there, such as, you know, for your site two coming in to, to work in the office, you know, what happens if the police stop them on the way in and say, where are you going? You're supposed to be staying home. So we, on that Monday night, we were producing letters for each of them to carry in from the company saying, you know, you ha you, you've got the right and you need to come in. It's important for the business and for clients that you come in. So even down to that level. Um, so that was really, I think, my thought of how we prepared ourselves but Greg maybe you want to talk a bit more about specifically what you were up to. Yeah I, I, I think Neil you, you, you mentioned the letter I've, I've still got that letter in the glove box of my car um, signed by Daniel and it, it is for that exact reason since March the you know well, very early March we, we, we quarantined 40 members of the office to work in isolation uh, away from the rest of the business and they We've continued to do that. Um, it's been different members dropping in and dropping out, but in the main, it's been the same course of 10 or, 10 or 12 people. Um, and, and our job uh, really is to make sure that, you know, you mentioned if a client checks are dealt with the same day to make sure that money's invested as promised, and whether that's a transfer form or a discharge form for an occupational pension. Uh, we, we've got SLAs that we need to meet. Uh, but at the same time, when we identified the, the core of people that needed to come into the office and maintain practice, we also needed to make sure that the other 98% of staff could work from home. And I think that was that was equally as vital because, yes, we can deal with the administration of checks and you know physical letters, but also being able to answer the telephone uh, in a in a time of need. You know, one of the one of the great stats from March that we've got is. We answered 15,000 client calls with an average hold time of 20 seconds. And I think in a time of need, that's, you know, vital. Um, you know, I think probably most of us and most of you on the call tried ringing companies at that time, whether it was, you know, travel companies and what's going to happen with holidays. Um, they turned the phone lines off, as did many of our competitors in our industry. So the fact that we responded by doing mock tests so, you know, myself, Daniel, Diane and 
and others, we were doing mock lockdowns. So when the announcement came from Boris, people were ready to work the next day at 8 a.m. As opposed to, you know, panicking and ordering 4,000 laptops, as another company did. Uh, we have all of our staff ready to go straight away. And I think, you know, site two is a, a term we're still using. Um, it's a funny term because it's actually just the office now. Everybody's comfortable and settled working from home. And then we've got a, a very small operation, which each day comes in, opens 10 boxes of post, scans it and sends it where it needs to go to, and then processes it same day, which for our advisors and their clients um, or our direct clients has, has really been vital. It's been a, a real vital part of the operation here. Yeah, and we've, we've had a lot of feedback, Greg, I think from, from clients and also from advisors about that importance of answering the phone. Um, answering web chat all that you know the response times have, have been excellent throughout and it it really d does act to reassure clients that everything's in a safe place being looked after very much business as usual mm -hmm. yeah I, I, absolutely i think we've had you know especially when we're coming into a, a very busy time for true potential tax year end um you know within financial services it's a, a busy time of year march and april and we we obviously reacted in the right way to make sure people could continue to get their money invested. Uh, you know, a couple, couple of stats I've got to hand here, but the tax year end, we had 18,000 individual um, items to process, 18.5 million impulse saved, and 227,000 pension um, payments processed. All as the pandemic was probably at its, at its worst, um, when a lot of other people weren't able to deal with, you know, administration requests. We actually went from strength to strength in the, the, the very early parts of the lockdown. Yeah, and I think when you look at when you look at say I think the um you know the other aspect there is you know we 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 chose we didn't furlough any staff. We retrained certain people to work alongside you and your yeah. team, Greg, but we chose to keep the full count of the staff fully engaged, you know, making sure everything ran properly. No, yeah absolutely right, Neil, because I, I was about to move on to that because I think in terms of looking after our own clients and our own staff, you're absolutely right. We deliberately upped the game. You're, you're absolutely right to say we haven't furloughed one member of staff. We kept everybody busy or retrained. But David, when we look across what we wanted to do to use True Potential's kind of size and voice, um, you were the founder member of the C19 Business Pledge, which was off the back of the work which you do with social mobility. And, you know, the C19 Business Pledge was all about looking to protect businesses, employees and communities as, as, as well. So, you know, I, I, it, I, it sounds like a silly question, but why, why did you want to set that up? Um, a couple of points. First, uh, add to what Greg and, and Neil were saying, uh, Danny, um, that... Uh, I think we are what's known. There's a there's a great book and there's a great phrase called anti-fragile, which um, you know people would say what, what's the uh, what's the opposite of um, you know fragile, and a lot of people would say robust or resilient and whatever. But an anti an anti-fragile firm um, responds to crisis, responds to any shock by getting better. So it, it gets better. And uh, what this has happened to us, it's, it's sort of, I'm not saying that Greg and Neil and, and the rest wouldn't have got to that stage, 
in any case, we don't know. What we do know is that they're now running a business, you're now running a business, which is better than it was as a result of your actions that you took um, in the face of, uh, you know, a disruption to business. And our biggest fear, obviously, was that the post office would cease to bring in stuff that, and uh, just for, for the listeners, uh, about 90% of a certain type of business required that we sent a pack, a mailed pack, out to clients. Um, and 10% of that would be, you know, 100% of that business, which is a large amount of business every day. Um, that would be done online, and 90% would be done in paper. And, of course, people often these days ignore paper. You know, you, you, you get a lot of junk post, junk mail, so it gets ignored or, you know, and it's like anything else. Somebody tells you to do something today and you don't think to do it for two or three weeks, then what you have is you, you, you forget and you just throw it in the bin or you think, well, that's, I don't know what it is. Um, and of course, what we all have to remember, everybody has to remember, more, all paper is generated from computers and the, you know, your name and address is on a database. So, Basically, you're taking that name and address and data, you put it on paper, you're posting it, it has to be opened, you're looking at it. And I'm a great, you know, I, I use paper, I'm, you know, I, I believe paper and books will last longer than, say, an, I, an iPhone or an iPad. There'll be something that will replace them, but they haven't replaced these things. Um, so I'm not a, a techno maniac, if you like. So out of that, that's completely switched. So of that 100% business, now over 90% of that is done digitally, yeah. which saves the planet, you know, saves, saves paper. Uh, uh, by the way, it saves us money because uh, it costs about £3.50 to £4 for that pack because you've got to give everybody information. But, of course, all of that information comes from the database. So all you say to people is if you click here, there you're going into that same knowledge, the same information that they can look at. If they want it in paper, they can print it off. But it's made so simple that people can get the information. That information's there. It's on their site from then on as well. Everything they do, you know, every bit of support that they've ever needed is stored forever inside their own app, inside their own website, as long as they're clients and maybe when they're not clients. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm pleased with that, Danny. Um, you know, yeah. that's quite important that you, we, we've not only just reacted to, but we've we've built a stronger business and a faster business and uh, actually more profitable business, which, you know, ultimately gets reflected in how much we charge clients. So that's good. The COVID-19 pledge, if you like, is a spin-off from the social mobility pledge that Justine Greening, um, the right honourable Justine Greening, if she's listening, um, uh, formed uh, two or three years ago, um, the purpose of which was to really social mobility, which nobody's really got the grips with. But my belief is that businesses have the the major part to play in that. There's no good training people for a job that isn't there. And there's no good sending money north, south, east or west into areas and just creating public sector jobs. What you have to do is remove the barriers that allow businesses to thrive, provide 
the finance so they can borrow and securely borrow so they can, you know, we're going to lose the money. It's not like a gift for designing the website. This is often people have remortgaged their house. So, but, go, you know, we can have money that then grows. When you grow, you need people to help you. And those are the jobs. What you then do is go into the schools and get people to be interested in the world of work while they're at school, while they're at university, uh, provide apprenticeships and work experience and also how you recruit people is uh, a term which strangely enough now becomes a political slogan called a level playing field which was I'm glad to say noted three years ago on our website providing that level playing field in recruitment name blindness things like this so we look you're forced to look at people and assess if they really what you want so COVID-19 came from that. There was 300 organisations. The Social Mobility Pledge covers 500 organisations, 7 million people. COVID-19, 300 of those organisations. And what we said to them is, you've got to keep your business going. Have a think about, it's just an aided memoir. These are grown-ups, by the way. These are proper chief executives and chairmen. Mm. These aren't, uh, as some of them, some of them are one-man, two-man bands. But these are COVID-19, Danny was just really sitting to people, Look after your business. Look after your people, right? Because it's not nice for lots of us, including me, to work from home. Um, what, are you, what are you doing? We've responded. We, well, I don't think we've ever been closer as a firm. Um, the amount of hours that we're spending here like this and the amount of hours that you lot in particular have spent making certain that nobody's forgotten, making certain that people are involved, um, whereas in, in the past, you just pop around and had a cup of coffee with them around the corner. Now, it's not. So I'd hate to live my life like this. I mean, I, you know, I just would hate it to happen. And, uh, and I think we, we've done that. And a lot of these firms have done that. We've also, you know, given the charity, we try our best to ensure that we're not paying the people who run the charity more money than they give to the people who need the money. You know, I think that's a... So many charities yep. around the big ones just seem to be a force for themselves rather than force for in, people. In, in the main, David, for, for all the charities which, which true potential in us help, um, it has to make a tangible output or a tangible difference. And Earl, obviously, um, you live across in Northern Ireland, so you've had to deal with the challenges of a, a, a different government, a devolved government, so a different set of rules. You're also having to interact with all of us across in England. You're also having to get the grips with how do you recruit and communicate to advisors remotely. And finally, having to get the grips with the digital direct offer technology, which, which, which Greg mentioned, um, mm. which, which, which has been the most satisfying side of things which you've, 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 you've worked on this year. Well, probably getting the daily updates from the devolved government where you've got two people and then two, two people behind them, two people making sort of <laughs> hand gestures and that. Nobody's ever told me whether the hand gestures are in different languages or, but anyway, I just, it just adds to my confusion because I get confused at the best of times now that the years are rolling on, Daniel, but, but not everybody in this call doesn't have to worry about that. Then We're all, <laughs> we do, we do worry about it though. We, we know, you don't need to tell us about that. We can see that. Anyway, I think I think that, you know, Neil goes back to that Monday morning meeting. We're all camped, you know, 
we're trying to work it all out. And I think when David talks about start with the facts, the problem back in, in March when we were having these meet with, there's very few facts. I think even we're having a debate over hand sanitizer at one stage to say, well, it has to be 70%. And then Neil said, well, mine is. And I think David said, I don't think so. It mightn't kill it. You know, that's that's devoid of facts is, is, is a worrying thing. And, you know, and it, the conversation came around about, well, how long does it live in paper? Well, nobody knows. Well, what happens Royal Mail? Will they touch the paper? And that sort of dawned on me in that stage. Well, my goodness, you know, 70 to 80% of my business is communicated out to clients in paper. And what if Royal Mail decide not to do that? You know, I've got next month's meeting. I'll have sales director. I'll have to get up and talk about the total lack of business coming because there's no paper. And I, I remember saying to, to Gray because there was something going on in the background with a, a young lady from Northern Ireland from Fermanagh who joined the dev team. She was she was building what we were calling the Lucy app, and the Lucy app was for internal staff to digitalise the paper coming in to streamline it. And I just said to Greg, "Is do you think there's any chance we get that Lucy app out to the clients because I need them to fill it in rather than us to fill it in?" And that was the, the birth of digitalizing the paper, right? And, you know, you look back at the evolution of that. Now we're, we just take it for granted. And that's the problem we have in True Potential. We innovate this stuff and build it. And then we just think, well, that's, is that not the normal? And actually, Daniel, the thing for me is from that, we digitalize the course, we digitalize the insight days, we digitalize the communication. And my worry now is we've digitalized that much that you know, the, the advisors maybe, you know, keep promising them an 1880 reunion um, because sure. Billy Jack, who heads up the operation, wants to be an 1830 reunion. You know, it used to be a holiday I went in years ago, but I'm banned from it now. Not because of my age. My wife doesn't allow me to go. Um, but we're having an 1880, so Billy can turn up as well. And he'll go mad when he sees this. But And from that, you know, the digitalization of that offer. And, you know, for the clients now on their mobile phone can understand what's exactly happening they can execute it. They've got an audit trail digitalized. All the all the documents are on there forever to look at. You know, for, to me, it's you know, would you ever go back? No. No. And and that pressure applied on us to innovate in a tough situation for the good of clients is definitely made us stronger. And we've just for me, we've had our best year in terms of people joining, clients joining, and you know, the, 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 you can just see the difference in terms of get the digital thing right in the modern era. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, Greg, just before we say goodbye, any any which we've missed in terms of how, how we've looked after clients, advisors? I think probably the, the, the big one in the first sort of quarter done is we obviously launched Be Next, uh, which is our new advisor back office system. Um, a lot of companies used COVID as reasons to delay or postpone things, and we pressed ahead with the sort of schedule as normal. So we, in March, put 200,000 clients' data across onto the new system, using our own you know, in-house firm first, and then continued the rollout throughout the rest of the year. So we've seen 700 firms, you know, 16,000 users, and millions of clients' records migrated onto the new back office system uh, across, across the period of the year. And I think, you know, you don't have to look far in, in our press to see migrations going wrong. Um, so we successfully migrated our platform. And then this year, we've obviously migrated our back office. Um, you know, seamlessly, really. It's a, a word that gets used too often, uh, seamlessly. But we did generally move across all of our firms onto the new 
software and it, it's been a, a big milestone for us really um, getting across to V next and, and you know it kind of does get overlooked sometimes when you do things on plan um, normally you know it, it gets overlooked never mind in a, a world where everybody else is using it as an excuse we just plowed on really so we kept our, our kind of core team of developers pointed at that got it launched and yeah it, it, I think that's been for, for me and my team are, are well done to them for keeping on schedule and as planned with that done. Yeah, no, it's, it, it's a good point, Greg, I mean, because uh, far too many organisations, not just in our industry, um, are blaming, they're still blaming COVID now for things. So, you know, I've got a bank, you know, one of the top banks in, in, in England, or Britain, by the way, as well, still on the front of its homepage, where experience, service and delays, please bear with us because of COVID. And you think, say, no, you've had nine months now. Let's just, just admit you just deliver a crap service and just, just let's just be honest uh, with it. But yeah, I think it's um, far too many organizations hide behind poor levels of service and, and delivery because of COVID. And uh, I, 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 actually, I actually hope they get found out properly and I hope people fall to their feet with, with things like that because I think we're, we're past that point now. Problem is, Danny, is just a lack of, with, certainly with banking, lack of competition. Yeah. Okay. And this is what the regulator needs to be aware of. You know, too big to fail, failed. We need more banks. We need more competition. We need more. And the, the term challenger bank, as any of us know, in financial services regulation, just as a joke, you know, you need, you know, Germany, 500 banks, Britain, less than 10, you know, this is the point that you, you you can't clubbing together means that you and you could you can end up with a very very bad situation, which is what happens in Britain. They have no need, they have no need to do a change your thing because where are you going to go? You're going to be back there in five years' time, just yeah. keep going round different exactly. special special offers, you know, and so on and so forth. So competition required. Well, Greg, on that note, uh, thank you very much, mate, and uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks. So we're, we're just going to move across now, and I'm going to invite Steve Hutton uh, to join us. Steve Hutton is the Chief Executive of True Potential Wealth Management. So um, welcome, Steve. Um, Steve, again, another um, person who's been on the podcasts before, and Mark, you've been uh, quiet for a little while. We've been leaving you out, so apologies for that, Mark. So I wonder if maybe you and Steve could talk a little bit about how uh, the investment management firm have been interacting with advisors and the way in which the advisors then in turn have been interacting with the clients. Yeah, sure, Dan. And I think it's worth, you know, just going back to, to February and March, really, which is when the support levels uh, of, of contact with with Steve and the the advisors in wealth management and and also those that Greg looks after in TPAS really had to step up because we were getting a lot of information coming in, and it we can look at it and we can assess it in a in a professional way. We can take an impartial view and then try and convert that into into a language that the that our clients will understand. And that's not to be cheeky. It's just a lot that comes in is technical and it's hiding quite a lot of the, the, the main detail. So what we did was we, um, we, we significantly increased the contact between True Potential Investment Management Firm and Wealth Management. We began by having um, 
across the group. We had daily webinars. The investment management firm were, were holding them three times a week, Monday, midweek, and the end of week, you know, just to keep everybody up to date. And it, it was welcomed by advisors who could take the messages that we were putting forward and, and giving it out to the clients when those clients were requiring a type of um, a, a bit of comfort, a bit of understanding, and a bit of interpretation as to what was going on. And Steve, I know that you and I co-hosted many webinars, particularly February time and going into March. It was a bit of a double act. Yeah, hi everybody. Hi Dan, hi Mark. Um, it was an interesting time, wasn't it? it? It was the time when the fact that all our digital interaction with clients came to be of maximum use. Um, during the sort of latter part of, of June and July, um, we did, it was a 30,000 year-to-date client reviews. So that's 30,000 of our, of our clients been having a, you know, an online meeting with their advisors and getting their policy reviews done uh, and getting communication. The fact that we were doing the podcast with our advisor week and also that now our websites were fully being used by our clients to access and, and use, use these valid, validations of, of their policies, I think really came to the fore. Even one of the industry studies, a company called Langcat, um, rewarded us by making us the winner of the, the COVID response survey. We had the best uh, marks that they've ever seen for any of their surveys and any of their responses. So it really bore fruit, all the work we put into making sure our digital technology was embraced by our clients, their individual client sites, but also that our advisors were making sure that their clients were using it because volatility, as you said, in the market was still quite, quite rife in July. There was also a time when the government started to release everybody a lot more. If you can think back, it seems a long time ago now, but we were all getting released. Uh, swimming pools were open, I believe, and which something that I really enjoyed. Bingo halls opened again in July, so um, I could I could go out on a Friday night again. So it was a strange month because they released us all, and they started to tighten up a little bit at the end. Of it. Throughout it all, we kept this dialogue going with our advisors and our clients using all the technology, and it really started to bear fruit. The interesting point for us was July, historically, is quite a busy month for us because we have a lot of self-employed you know, payments on accounts. So a lot of people have started new policies in July, so a lot of these came up for review, but we managed to cope admirably with these. And, as I say, we've completed a huge amount of reviews year to date, but through the month of July. We also, and I won't, I'll stop rambling in a minute, but we also had, um, it was also a time when a lot of our competitive firms were actually starting to really fall over. You know, March, when it all started to happen, it became more and more attritional. And by July, a lot of our advisors were getting really fed up with where they were working. And we had 34 new advisors just in true potential wealth management alone join us in July. So it was superb, really. We, uh, we started to really make, you know, make strides into making people understand that they had to have a digital uh, technology base that, that wouldn't fall over during these times. Yeah, and I think also that from from the platform side of, we 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 increased the the technology offering to the clients by bringing forward valuations, you know, so that that when fund pricing occurs at twelve o'clock or one o'clock. Um, it's, it can sometimes take 24 hours. If it's a US fund, it can take a little bit longer than that for the, the valuation, the latest one, to be reflected in the in the the, the uh, market in the wider view. But with the true potential um, funds, the technology that we have meant that as soon as that price was published, the client could go onto the website, look at it, 
and and see uh, what had happened that that previous day and how it had affected the funds. And then that takes us right back to what we designed True Potential to do, where clients could get a hold of information, the relevant information to them, be informed to the detail that they want to be informed, and then take the uh, relevant steps. And I think, Steve, also what we saw at, in the investment management side and on the platform is a lot of the work that the advisors had done with clients to introduce them to the technology and show them how to use it really came to the forefront in, in the first part, the first quarter of this year. And we've seen that continue all the way through um, to where we are now in December. Mark, what, yeah, what would you it, say? It's really interesting. No. Sorry, Steve. No, no, please go. No, Dan, I was only going to say it's really interesting that, you know, um, the, the, there's, there's, as a client myself, as well as a, you know, someone who leads things, it's really frustrating when you've got an account with somebody that you can't access, whether it be your electricity or whatever. With your financial matters, it's absolutely crucial that you're kept fully informed. And, you know, we've been having our sort of banging our drum and being at the vanguard of, of proper technological technological developments in the financial services industry right from the beginning of True Potential. But it's only this year, I think, that the real benefit has been fully understood by our clients because doing exactly what you say, when markets are volatile, if they were getting a paper statement once or twice a year, can you imagine how frustrating that would have been for clients? But now they can log on 24-7, get an up-to-date opinion. If they need to use the hybrid aspect, they can call an advisor or call us at head office and they can get a proper explanation of what it is. And I think that really has assisted us. But it's also, as I say, it's brought more people to want to join us because they must have been getting so frustrated with the tech at, at other companies. And we know just from our industry, you know, media, that a lot have fallen over and are having major problems, whereas ours has gone from strength to strength. Everything we do now is digitalized. Um, you know, even the advisor training courses we run are now online as well. And we, we move seamlessly into it. We didn't have to sort of shut up shop and stop talking to people for a month while we suddenly got our act together. We ran seamlessly from the 23rd of March onwards and into it. Um, and, you know, we'll go from strength to strength now because it's not just that we did it and people can catch us up. They'll never catch us up because they've fallen over and they'll have a whole backlog of trouble to, to deal with now. They'll never catch up. And we can just keep going from strength to strength. So, you know, I would have, you know, people... If you have friends and clients and, and relations in other companies, please feel free to tell them, you know, how, how good your experience has been during this time because uh, they won't be having the same experience, I'm sure. Well, Sorry, Dan. Uh, it's a good, no, it's a great point, Steve, actually, because Neil, just you and I were talking just last week about you, you played the dangerous game of referring some friends into two potential work. So yes. it's a good way to, if, if, if Mark brings the investments down, you've lost some friends. Um, yes. So it's a, you have to obviously pick your, pick your victims wisely. But you had some great, great tales you were telling me last week, Neil, from, from your friends' as experiences. Yeah, I mean, it's a hard new every day. Accountants are allowed to have friends. Well, when I say friends, friends all business connections and contacts, uh, David. Victims. Friends. The result of all that networking, Neil. That's right, uh, Mark. All that networking over the years has been very productive for me, as you can see. Do you go swimming in rivers? Uh, yeah, I'll probably Is be that doing that do? later, David. That's what the middle class have been doing during the, during the lockdown. Yeah, a bit of... Go bit wild of, swimming and yeah. uh, a bit of doing all that kind of thing. You, you yeah. haven't got shorts on as well, because it's, it's a bloody winter. But um, you see a lot of them dancing around with shorts on. <laughs> 
and things like this, and because the the middle class, uh, you know, not that you're middle class, you are very, very, very much upper class. So <laughs> I, I wouldn't talk to ordinary accountants if I was you. You know, well, just... now and again, I have to lower my sights a bit, David, but just to get a few <laughs> clients into the funds and earn us a few pennies. Um, as Correct. We the year, yeah. So I had to resort to that. Well done. But, um, well done. Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, interesting. The, 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 the feedback I, I get, because, I, you know, I do get feedback as I see these people and they, they let me know how it's all going. But a particular one, um, somebody transferred all their pensions across to us and, you know, quite a sizable sum of money. But he... Um, he was coming through on the web chat with um, some of our head office people. And what really struck him was that it's real people responding straight away. So straight away when he's asking a question or saying hello, somebody's saying hello back in, in quite a friendly tone and saying, what exactly can I help with? And then he maybe asks some questions about his pension and they'll either come back straight away and you know tell them all about that. Or um, you know, it, it, it may be they'll say, oh, I need to check with a technical contact um, you know, I'll I'll come back and let you know. But um, just a very friendly tone. And he said, you know, whenever I go on with BT or anything else, you know, it's some robot trying to read my um, messaging and trying to come up with some sort of logical response. But it's obviously a robot. It's not a person. And straight away it switches you off and you don't get through. And he said, you know, as soon as I've got a question, as soon as I've got uh, something I want looked at, it's done, you know, immediately. It's, it's straight back to me. And, and, you know, he just prefers to go on the, the kind of web chat rather than ring, but, you know, equally he could he could call. So I think that was um, quite, he said, it's, it's very striking the way you approach the client relationship as a very human relationship, not just some machine coming back. Um, you know, it, it's it's something that he, he really, really appreciated at a time when he was looking at some things around his pension and just wanted to know, you know, how were, how were things placed. So I thought that was quite a, a differentiator for us. And other other clients I've had have been, you know, delighted. I think Steve there has just mentioned the annual review, um, which, you know, those coming through wealth management with the advisor, they've, they've recently had their annual reviews. And they said, just at this, you know, what's been a sort of volatile year, it's great to just look over what I've got, where it's all sitting. Do I need to make any changes? Uh, you know, is, is it all what I want going forward? And, and it's just a nice process to have had that, you know, a bit of formality of a review at least once a year or when they need it. But once a year, just take stock, see where they are. Does it all make sense? Do we need to make a change? And then we move on to next year. So I've, I've had just in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've been having that sort of feedback from from people I know. So and I've introduced <laughs> and they're invested with us. Um, so it's quite. I think it's 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 interesting to see, and Steve's made the point there. You know, they've also said, well, you know, I've got stuff with, you know, a big life company, um, yeah. and I'll be looking to get a, a piece of paper out of them at the end of the year with with any information. Well, the same's happened to Steve as well when he's been getting clients down at the bingo hall. <laughs> you know, when he's been, well, you know, people think he's going to be a bingo, but he's trying to get extra clients for himself down there, which really, you know. Everybody has different levels that they go at. Do you send them up with your dabba, Steve? Well, well, exactly. You all know I live in a, in a part of the world that's keen on bingo. Um, yeah. So eyes down, we'll yeah. begin with my next point, if you like. Um, one of the points we're making, Neil, and, and I think we've made it all year, and we forget making this. When, 
when we're talking to clients and reminding them on the websites not to play bingo, I hasten to add, but to, to use their tax allowance <laughs> in beating the drum about this year, was make sure you always use your tax allowances. And you know, because yeah. it, it, we're doing them a you know, we're doing them a good service by reminding them of that because these you know they're annual, they go away. There's not many that you can use it once you've missed them. Uh, and I think we successfully got that message across this year um, to all the um, open air swimming pools and bingo hall attendees throughout the country. So I consider that a so, job uh, well done. I, I think, Steve, linked link with the technology with that, um, you know, re really good point because our impulse safe technology from clients and advisors got nearly £19 million pounds worth of new business, which came on just before tax year end. So that was £19 million of pounds getting invested into tax incentives, which would have been lost otherwise from there. So I think that's a that, that, that's a good point. One would almost walked past earlier on there, Steve. So well, well said. I think, mean, and on the annual suitability review side of things, Mark, do you know of any clients who may or may not be on this call who do the annual suitability reviews and then delicately um, unpick their their handily picked portfolios? Yes, I do, Daniel. Um, and it's the one that you can you can virtually put a note in your diary that you've got to run around and say to the operations team, a certain member of the senior partners may have done his own annual suitability review and he may well have done his risk assessment and he comes out at being a very aggressive investor. But we, we have portfolios in place for other investors. Um, so for God's sake, don't move them. <laughs> he didn't that wasn't really what he intended <laughs> so the good news is <laughs> ladies and gentlemen when you when you change your annual suitability review if it changes we're watching by the way and then mark mark and his care and sharing team are always looking out for you he's quiet dan oh, oh, was it well, me? said who it well, is so <laughs> I, I think <laughs> if somebody was, speaks you'll you give the game away you should always Whoever it was, you should always remember, you should always obey what the client says. You know, you might have a view as to whether they're an aggressive investor or not, but they filled out that questionnaire and they didn't just go, yes, 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 yes. They thought about it. It took at least two minutes to think about it. They become an aggressive investor. <laughs> but I think I'd been listening to politicians and I just became very aggressive. Oh, <laughs> I've said that I, it must have been me. That's right. The curtain reveals. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went down, bumped in a couple of my accountancy friends, went for a swim in the river, jumped out, went into the bingo hall, had that big felt pen, signed it with a big felt pen like that. That was it. Do you pay tax on bingo proceeds? No, the winnings. Gambling winnings. <clears throat> well, there's a link. We should have we should have like a bingo app on the phone, right? And that money should directly go. Any winning should directly go into an ISA, and it'll be called a, a BISA or something like that. <laughs> or an impulse bingo. Impulse bingo, I think or, so. Or e bingo. The way we name many things. <laughs> Well, it'd be like, like I'm going to be saying e-bingo, smoking their e-cigarettes in e, I'm from Bradford. <laughs> <laughs> we could uh, we could say that bingo gives you wings, couldn't we? 
is that a phrase that's ever used in no, uh, advertising these things? Luckily not. <laughs> Steve, before we say goodbye, anything else to add? Again, yeah. All right. Oh, Sorry, just uh, I think I think they're all closed again now. I'm in tier three, so I'm having oh. to do online bingo and uh, you know other things. You you could pop across the border, Steve, though, to like York somewhere like that, because they're tier two, aren't they? Uh, yeah. You can imagine Steve listening to one of Boris's announcements. Like you'd get a, a line, wouldn't he? You'd go, tier one, dump with a dabber. Tier two, there's another number gone. All the way up to tier four. Line. <laughs> House. House. <laughs> it is a bit like that, well, Steve, we'll, we'll say thank you and goodbye at this stage, mate. So, uh, pleasure having you on the podcast. Good luck with the bingo. You can play online as well, Steve, using the internet. Um, so, there's, there's a good website out there called foxybingo.com, Steve. <laughs> well, thanks ever so much for that. I'll uh, no doubt keep you all appraised of how I get on. Yes, yes please. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, See. mate. Bye-bye. Grand. So I think we'll, we'll, we'll bring our last guest on, ladies and gentlemen, who um, is Jamie Sexton. And Jamie works in our, our pensions team. So he, he helps give advice about different types of pensions out there. He also works with Steve on our client advice team as well. So um, looks funny there, doesn't he? God bless him. Oh, there there. Well, here he is. That, that photo of Jamie was taken before he became a father. So he looked uh, fresher faced and more. <laughs> More, more, more red of hair, Jamie. Yeah, I've got. I'm, I'm definitely a silver fox now. I think. Well, just silver. I wouldn't say the fox, but that's up to the, <laughs> the audience to decide. He's still living. He's still living in Bertley Barrio. The Barrio. I, I just, des I just described it as Bertley Bronx actually in my holiday request. So it's. Ah, right. <laughs> it's, okay. it's more like that. I should have put my jumper on, Dan. I didn't realise. Well, the, the only one who's put the jump on today has been my good friend, Greg. So Greg's on the good list today. And yeah, nobody else. Sorry. Not a mass, as you would say in the Bertley Barrio. <laughs> um, Earl and Jamie, I think I'll, I'll, I'll hand across to yourselves because I think, Jamie, that this year you and, and Earl and, and the rest of the, 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 the pensions brains are true potential. You've been busy, haven't you? We've been looking at DB schemes, we've been looking at the changing of rules, we've been working with more clients than ever, I think, to understand pensions freedom and how they can avail of that. Yeah, Dan, I'll start this. From a, an occupational pension transfer point of view, we've had a, a very busy year. Um, you know, obviously, lots of clients who are potentially being made redundant, quite sadly, um, but want to look at their pension options um, from, from some of the bigger firms. So we've we've had to deal with, with quite a lot of that, um, as well as rule changes during the year, um, which is is changing the way that the, our regulators has asked for additional information that we have to sort of look at and compare for clients. So some some big changes from the occupational pension point of uh, point of view, regarding the drawdown um, in terms of pensions and, and how we facilitate that, we we implemented a, an online feature um, in the middle of the year, which has been you know pretty pretty su successful um, 
from our perspective, giving clients the option to facilitate their, their drawdown online, which has typically been a, an over the phone request. And I, for, from my experience with clients, they, they prefer that, they, they log in, they can request their money when they need, or they can ask uh, clients for advice. And that's been a, a really successful thing from, from a pensions uh, drawdown point of view, and actually quite exciting for us um, to get that over the line. It's something we've been working very hard on uh, for us. Um, Regarding the, the, I suppose the advice, I, I was, I was looking. I thought I'd get some stats actually, as you, as you do, get some, some decent stats of, of what we've done with clients this year. And there's some aston- astonishing figures. Um, that we, you know, we shared this with our uh, advisors, um, as you know, yesterday. Um, but we've actually had within True Potential Wealth Management, so the, the wealth management arm, we've had over two million logins, um, into client sites. And, and what I found particularly interesting is the balance of people going from client sites, which is where they can access it from a, a desktop, to um, mobile. So 1.2 million mobile logins um, over the year, which is which is fantastic for us. And and you know, watch this space for next year. We're in, we obviously are, we're updating the app um, on, on the mobile. But I think that's it. Really, just shows a sign of the times in terms of how people yeah. are are engaging with us. Well, just 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 our interest. So. David, do you use mobile or um, or the web to, to as as your primary browsing tool? Uh, I think it's about well because I've been locked in, Daniel. I think that uh, or locked down. It's probably about fifty fifty at the moment. But um, increasingly, I, I mean, for for example, for my online banking, I need both. So my, you know, the, the, it, it needs to check my face to make yeah. certain I'm doing things. But um, uh, that, that's moved dramatically towards mobile, mm. dramatically towards mobile. And, and the, feel like the, the ability to do everything on a mobile. I, my constraint is I've got to put glasses on, <laughs> to, you know, to, to read the thing. So you're struggling if I could find a way, you know, maybe in, in the future, somebody might introduce some like laser surgery or something. I know it sounds far fetched that can, you know, they can drill into your eyes and do something with your eyes. But until that day comes along, I'll probably have to use uh, these kind of things. Can I just ask a question? We've got Jamie on there, Daniel, as well. So, um, Jamie, I'm just looking over your shoulder. Is that a um, is that an exercise bike behind you? <laughs> it is. I mean, you've seen us on it, I think. Have I? I, I didn't know if it was that. Uh, you moved it around so we can't really see. <laughs> he put his hand away in it. Because uh, Earl was thinking, because he's from Northern Ireland, he was thinking it was a pulpit. He was thinking that's <laughs> when the priest comes around. right? And you've got a kneel in front of that. Uh, and he'll give you like pieces of wafer. It gives you like a poppadom. You know, and you, you, you've got to pretend that Papa Dom's Christ. And then he gives you some dodgy wine and you've got to pretend that that's blood. Just don't forget that, you know. But he could do that, couldn't he? Instead of, like, bringing his pulpit around, he could just sit in that bike, couldn't he? And then he could kneel in front of the exercise bike and be blessed by the Father, you think? Uh, I'll, I'll give him a ring this afternoon and we'll try it out. He'll know about it. Just, just fire that. Just... Oh. See, just miss God out. I don't want to go up to God, which is the internet and back down. Just Father Miggins, just give me, just give me a bell. <laughs> just say, listen, you only got like four or five days a year. You've got to work. I know you've got a couple of busy days coming up, but you know, um, you just pop around and 
bless me, bless me. Uh, is that one of those ones that cost you a lot of money, where you get some daft bugger from New York going, go on, go for it? You know, Potentially. <laughs> that's not a pallet and bait, Jamie. It's not. A, I've, got the, um, I've got the new Apple Fitness, though, which is pretty much that, which is good. Yeah, sure. All right. So that, if, if we go back, back to the question, so da David's 50-50. If we could maybe get you an iPad, David, that's like a big phone, and you could just look at that all of the time. But Earl, it's hard to you, put your pocket. You just get you get yourself a man bag, David, and carry it around with you. Ah, trendy. Do that. Earl, do you are, are you more of an app user or a web user? I think mobile now, Daniel, and the only reason is. Because the memory's going, and that's what my wife keeps telling me. Um, you just have to look at it, and it opens up. So <laughs> to me, the, the facial technology opens all up, and then that's it. Because um, I can't remember anything these days at all. Um, but the, yeah, mobile for definite. And now that Steve Hutton's announced that we're getting a bingo app in the mobile app, that's me. We <laughs> yeah. like a bit of bingo over here as well, as you know. Yeah. So there's a, a convincing vote from for mobile for early. He can't remember why he's answered that question, but uh, there we are. What did you ask? Yeah, exactly. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, Neil? I think about 80-20 uh, um, Pareto principle in, in favour of the mobile, uh, Dan. I think most of the time it's the mobile. Occasionally I have a look on the on the website to see all those great charts and um, you know study some of that, but mainly... Uh, it would it would be mobile access. And Don Hendo, same as Earl Dan, mobile. And uh, it, it is surprising how quickly you forget passwords, usernames, and passwords when you've got other, the facial recognition on there. Uh, you know, we've as a team we've just got the the latest iPhone and we transferred the apps across, and of course the banking apps with the security in there don't transfer the, uh, the password. Forgot it all, didn't over. it? Yeah. So. I had to phone the help desk last night to try and remember what the username and password is, ready to set up face recognition again. Did you feel like a silly sausage having to ring the bank, Mark? I felt like a real silly sausage. <laughs> I thought he was phoning another help desk. I thought he took it that bad. I was phoning you. <laughs> phoning the Samaritans up. <laughs> and you, Jamie went, as usual, you no help. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, when, when clients phone us, you know, the, the options they've, they've got, we, they can contact us using live chat. They can contact us, you know, traditionally on the telephone. They can also video call us as well. And I think that, is it fair to say that the video call and sailing has become more prevalent, more common now? Yeah, I was, I was looking at this. So the live chat and video call-ins, they're sort of same features. So the clients, when they go on the live chat, they can come up and speak to someone. And that this year we've done um, 12,500 um sort of video live chat features which is you know uh, really excellent um and and over three thousand demos as well actually on the website so live video demos with with clients so it's starting to become the i think that it's becoming the norm um where people they just want a quick query they want to know something they just go on the live chat and just pop up and one of the team will help them which is uh clients really like and i know it's been it's been an interesting case study because the technology by default just shows me or you or Rebecca or, or, or one of one of the call team there. It doesn't show the client. Yeah. So a, a, a client's clicking their cameras on. 
No, not all the time, Dan. I think some some of them do, which um, because they've got used to the the sort of Zoom. But um, it's a, it's probably fifty fifty to be honest. Now it's probably fifty fifty. Yeah. I think it's starting to become normal for people to get used to getting used to Zoom and and yeah. these sorts of programs. Now this is just the norm. Um, well, that's it. I suppose we've had we've had nine months of meeting and working like this now, haven't we? Yeah. Um, probably what 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 I find. Uh, just talking in lockdown and in general about video calling is that come the end of the day, I'm, I'm more tired working like this than what I would be working in the office. And I think I'm, I'm probably not alone on this call. I'm, I very rarely do anything social using this. You know, so you, you, you often read newspapers or online about people who have like Friday night quizzes or drinks or, or, or whatever with the pals or the family. And I've hardly done any of that during all the lockdown. And the reason why is I've probably spent six, seven, eight hours that day looking at a screen, talking to people, and I just want to sit in a dark room by by the end of the day. I've I've had enough of video call. I've had enough of a screen by then. Yeah, there's something got. There was something on BBC this morning, which is there's a there's a saying for that, which is Zoom Zoom fatigue. Zoom fatigue. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're tired of well, being. There'll be a new one. There'll mm-hmm. be a pandemic well, of Zoom Zoom. It'll be unprecedented levels of Zoom fatigue. <laughs> pandemic <laughs> I, I must admit when, when we said the second lockdown coming that the first thing i text all my family and friends is out there was no way i was doing another zoom quiz <laughs> well you got that. through some of the the first zoom quizzes jamie because just behind you you've got a fridge i do lots of lots of beer that's a, that was the first purchase within a week of lockdown and then <laughs> and then further down which i'll not show you there's about uh, 70 cans of beer ready to be full, put in there so so just for the priest when he comes around. <laughs> yeah, it's best to get us drunk first. Get him drunk first. <laughs> get him drunk first so he gets you into heaven. You kind of, you know, it's not the other way around. You. Unless, unless he approves you and not going to heaven. That's the thing. I'm just concerned that Jimmy's thinks he's in a lock-in or the wife locked him in that room and he has to survive there. Well, I think Lock- Jimmy along with David... Now. Uh, put, put put some of the longest shifts in, isn't that right, Jamie? We've been locked in, locked down, even locked in. I think uh, I went to from March to about July. I hadn't been in any shop, supermarket, anyone's house, but yeah, I had literally been outside and indoors. Yeah. And then I started to venture out a little bit in July. <laughs> so we're restraining order, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, that was that's because the tag on me, uh, on me, yeah. on me ankle. I think that more more than the lockdown mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I tell you what, I'd worry more about the tag on that priest's ankle. <laughs> I, I was I was trying to make a nice point, Jamie, because I was going to say because it's been well well worth it because obviously yeah. your, your your wife and you were shielding because your your wife was pregnant. So you've, yeah. And yeah. How, yeah. how old's Jack now? Jack's uh, three and a half months now, so he's he's uh, it was definitely worth it. I, I think I was saying for this year for me it's been a hard year, but actually it's probably been the best year. <laughs> Yeah. You know, just having having my first son, so it was definitely a, lockdown was hard, but definitely worth it. I got a little, I definitely got a good gift in September. Best best reward from it, mate. Absolutely brilliant, brilliant, good. Well, we'll 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 let you escape, Jimmy. It's lunchtime. You've got to go and do some miles on your bike, so you can have brilliant. a can of lager yeah. after that. I, yeah. I'm off to I'm off to listen to an American uh, Spurs on. Uh, All right. Spurs. All right. Sorry, I, I thought it was a Spurs joke because. Uh, no. We don't talk about Spurs because they, they they were very good now they're not. <laughs> Thanks everyone. Still, still Thank you. See you, Jamie.
See you, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> so I, I, I think, gents, I think we could we could probably spend a lot longer picking picking on people and getting them to phone up. But I'm I'm, I'm conscious of, of our time, but also of our poor long suffering audience as, as well today. I think 2020 has been a year. It's it's been quite the year. It's been. Uh, well, as David will say, I'll not say unprecedented because it's on the legal word of uh, Bible of two potentials words, which we can't say. But I think hopefully, ladies and gentlemen, you get a snapshot about the type of year we've had, a snapshot about some of our thoughts, the way in which we've, we've, we've pivoted, really. So, so we're here for you at all times to help you do do more, as the jumper says, not do more Xmas, just do more with your money altogether. Um before we go, um, Mark, Earl, Neil, David, and any final thoughts or, 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 or anything to say? No, I think you've said it well. Do more with your money. We're, we're, we're here to... We are guided by, if you like, what we think clients want. Okay, and we're clients ourselves. We invest in our own company. We invest in our own funds. We, if you like, walk that talk. So... Um, that, you know, and, and our advisors are the same and our investment managers are the same. We are as close to you as anybody can be because, you know, we've probably got all our money invested in all of our own funds. So we think that's the way you do it. I don't think that you should buy a car from somebody in a Ford garage who's driving around in a Mercedes or vice versa. I think you, you, you live the brand and that's what we do. So... The, the you know, speaking as chairman here, Danny, you know, this has been a fantastic year for business. I know it's been a bad year, and I uh, apologize if you well, I don't apologize. I, I, I'm just aware that maybe people on the call they maybe had loved ones die or, or whatever prematurely because of this. Uh, it is an awful disease, and uh, you, you know, there's no doubt about it, it could be quite nasty. In fact, it could be terminally nasty. So um, we've tried our best this year to ensure that things not only um, have worked, but have worked better for you, uh, because that's what we're set up for. We're set up to provide a service for you at a price that makes you a profit and the price that makes us a profit. So um, hope it long may it last. Indeed. Thank you, David. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. Uh, thank you as well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, for, for getting through 49 episodes of the podcast this year <laughs> as well. We're back in January. <laughs> um, so um, have a lovely uh, new year, because as I say, this is going out after Christmas. So we hope you've had a lovely Christmas. Have a lovely new year. Fingers crossed for 2021. And it's been a wee bit different to some of 2020. So all the best, everybody. Thank you very much. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Subscribing to True Potential YouTube channel is quick and easy. Simply go to your YouTube app on your phone, type in True Potential, and press the red subscribe option. You'll then be notified as and when new videos are released.